Psalm 145, a psalm of praise of David. I will extol you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another that tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all people will know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall, lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all of his ways, and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, and all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord, let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Awesome. Good morning, everyone. Um, yeah, it's great to be with you. And um, yeah, that video, Brett made that video actually this week, which was awesome. It was just a great... Yeah, visual and great, powerful way to look at that um, chapter. And yeah, like I said last week, we're actually spending five weeks in Psalm 145 and just been encouraging you to read it. And um, it's been great today, even just, just to be able to worship with words from that psalm and then read it again today and then go through it um, again. And, and if you weren't here last week, just a real quick recap is this series is called Worthy of Praise. And we're talking about God being um, basically talking about how actually we all worship, everyone in the world worships something, something's ultimate, and everyone in the world praises things that are valuable and awesome. Um, I'm sort of sure people from Queensland were praising the Moreans this week, they were pretty happy about that. Um, and, and like you say, that's awesome, it's so good, people are celebrating, that's praise. Um, but we're talking about how well, actually we get to worship the one who is truly worthy of worship, the ultimate one, and the one who is truly worthy of praise, the Lord Almighty. And last week, to start with, in the first bit of Psalm 145, it talked about God's acts, His greatness and His great acts, that, that we have a God who does powerful works, um, that He created the world, which was a powerful work, and, and then He's acted to save and redeem us, which was a powerful work. So last week was kind of about what God does, that He, he does stuff. We have a God who's not just passive, He's active, and He's powerful, and He's acted. Um, and often that's when we connect with people, we often connect over what we do. Um, when you meet people, often one of the questions we ask them is, is what do you do? Um, what's, what's your work? Um, 
like, what do you do for money? And, and that we kind of are interested in that and tend to talk about that. Um, but a deeper question from what someone does is actually who they are, what they are like, your, your character. I think it's interesting. It'd be interesting to meet someone at a party and say, what are you like? <laughs> What's your character? <laughs> and it's like an icebreaker question. It's, like, it's, it's a bit more of an intimate question. Um, it's a harder question to maybe answer and a harder question to ask. And in some ways, someone's character and what they're like is often revealed over time. Um, as you get to know them more, you get to know what they're like. But at the same time, they also need to tell you things about themselves so that you can know them. You can only really know someone if they share themselves with you. Uh, you can observe, but to really know what they're like, you need to get to know them and have a relationship with them. And people can sometimes do things, like great things. Um, someone could be a doctor or a paramedic and save people every day. They could be an amazing person, but they could have a terrible character. Like, they could just be mean and nasty, and they're just doing their job. And they're doing great things, but in terms of actually who they are and what they're like, it, there's a disconnect. Um, who, who we are, our character is, is deeper and still important and is still connected to what we do as well. And that's kind of where we're going today, is, is a bit deeper to actually who is God, what is he like, what's his character. And again, it's connected to what he does. We're trying to ask that bit of a deeper question, actually, what is God like? And it, it's amazing because, right, again, some people sort of just think of God as a mystery, or God is just a force, and no one can really know God. And in a sense, that's true. We can't know God unless... He reveals himself to us. And the amazing thing is that he has. He's revealed himself to us. He's revealed himself to humanity. He's spoken to people and told us what he's like and shown us what he's like and then ultimately revealed himself in Jesus. So we can know what he's like. And there's a really key story in the Bible. Um, we're not going to go through it today, but it, it's, we're going we're to look at a reference to it um, in Exodus 34. It's a story with Moses. Um, he's up the mountain with, with God, with Yahweh, and Moses asks God this intimate question. He asks God, he says, show me your glory. He, he's, he's met God, he's talked with God, and he wants to know more of what God's like and more of what God's glory is like. And God answers his request. God says, you can't see my face, um, but he, he says, I'll put you in this rock and I'll pass over you and I'll declare my name. And it's this famous verse where God declares the name of and what basically declares his character. And then what he says is actually re-quoted in the Bible multiple times. It's actually been said that it's the most quoted verse in the Bible by the Bible. Uh, so like you might think, like, what's a really popular verse in the Bible? It might be like John 3.16. Like, that's popular to our culture. But the verse that's popular in the Bible, of the people who wrote the Bible, is this thing that God says to Moses in Exodus 34, which is actually in Psalm 145, and we're going to look at it today. Um, so we're just going to look at one verse from Psalm 145 today, which is, which is this self-revelation of Yahweh to Moses that's then repeated again and again throughout Scripture. So I'm going to pray, and then, then we'll look at that. Yeah, Father, we just thank you that as we've been singing that you are Father, and we just thank you that you have revealed that. Um, you reveal yourself to humanity. Uh, you've shown what you're like, um, even though we, there's so, so much that's still unsearchable and uh, we'll be searching you out forever, God. We can still know some of who you are and that what you've revealed. And we just ask that you'd um, take these truths deeper into our hearts even today. Um, would we know you in your character and your nature and your goodness? I just ask you to speak uh, this morning by your word and by your spirit, Jesus. 
Amen. So you probably know this verse. It's, it's famous. Um, this is a reference to what God says to Moses in Psalm 145.8. It says, The Lord, that's Yahweh, is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. And I think we've already sung it in one song already today. We're going to sing it later on as well. Um, Mel, could you, could you click along for me? Because it's not up the back, so I just can't see it today, if that's all right. Um, you should be able to follow. It should be all right. Um, so the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. Um, this is another translation from the ESV. Um, I'll read this one out. It says, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Now, it's, so this is basically what we're going to do is just look at this one verse today, because when we're asking the question, what is God like, this is a key verse, because this is a reference to what God revealed to Moses, and then this is quoted again and again. God quotes it again. People quote it about God again. It comes up again and again, and even then in reference to Jesus as well. So the whole Bible reveals God, like that, and there's other characteristics of God, but if we really want to answer the question, what is God like, this is a key verse for us to understand what it means and our picture of who he is. So basically, we're just going to unpack this one verse today um, because it's in Hebrew, um, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar. Um, I've been doing some reading um, and work on this this week, but the actual Hebrew words have rich meaning, and to actually understand what God is like from this description, we need to understand some of the Hebrew background a fair bit of what I'm sharing is from a um, book named, um, which is called God Has a Name by John Mark Comer. I'll quote him a bit today as well. Um, and I just encourage you to even look into this verse more and some of the Hebrew words behind it. But we'll start with those, that first description. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. So we'll start with compassionate. When, when um, God reveals to Moses, he, he starts with compassionate and gracious. In Psalm 145, like I said last week, remember it's an alphabet psalm. So this one is up to the letter that starts with gracious. This is gracious and compassionate. Now, this word compassionate is a really interesting way to describe God. Like the first word that God uses to describe himself to Moses is compassionate. And it's interesting to think, like what would be the first word that you would use to describe God? And when he reveals his glory to Moses, the first word he uses to describe it is compassion. And compassion is a feeling word. When you have compassion, it's a deep um, sense of connection and empathy with somebody else. That's, that's even how we use the word. Um, you, you feel for someone. Or you, you suffer with them. That's, that's compassion. Uh, it can be translated deeply moved. But the really interesting thing is that the Hebrew word, Again, I'm not, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I don't really know how to pronounce Hebrew. It's something like rahum. It's, it's linked to the word for womb. Compassion in Hebrew is linked to a womb, which is the idea of a mother giving birth and, and caring for a child. So the first word used to describe God is this sense of compassion that a mother has for a newborn baby. Um, we even see God use compassion this way um, in Isaiah 49:15, um, this verse says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget you, I will not forget you. So God's describing his love and compassion is like a mother with a baby who she's nursing. That's, that's the first word that God used to describe himself. It's profound. Um, and again, God is father, and this, this is also described as a father in Psalm 103, uh, verse 13 to 14, says this, As a father 
has compassion on his children. So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. So the same feeling that a father has for his children, um, a good father who sees the children, particularly in weakness, particularly in need, and is moved. It's, it's this emotional word that that's how God feels. That's, that's how God has described himself as a father who feels deeply for his children. This is profound. And, and so compassionate is kind of this focus on feeling, but then he's also gracious. And this, this word, again, we use the word grace all the time. Uh, we've sung about it already today. And uh, again, in, in Hebrew, um, it actually rhymes with the, the word for compassion. So it's a bit of a rhyme. Um, I don't really know how to say it. Probably it's something like Rahum Hanun. So Yahweh Rahum Hanun. So it's this, like, this rhyming picture of who God is. And the idea of grace and gracious is this idea of a gift of delight, of generosity, and particularly in the Bible, generosity and gift for someone who doesn't actually deserve it. Like, they could deserve it, but often it's actually for someone who doesn't deserve it, or particularly for someone who doesn't deserve it. And this side of um, uh, this idea of being gracious is more focused on the action. So compassion is more the feeling. Gracious is more the action that God acts on our behalf as a gift, even when we don't deserve it. Uh, we see this in Isaiah 30, um, verses 18 to 19. It says, This uh, people of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. So it's this idea of a cry for help and he will answer. It's, that's gracious. It's, it's a gift that he rescues, he answers, he comes. Same one in, same idea in Psalm 86, 16 says, Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. So it's this idea of crying out, turning to God for grace and for help and him acting on people's behalf. Um, so this is how God reveals himself, compassionate and gracious. On this, um, John Mark Comer says this. So to recap, compassionate is a feeling word. Yahweh is like a father or even a mother, and we're like his children. And gracious is an action word. It means like a parent, God comes to the rescue when his kids need help. So the Lord is gracious and compassionate. Um, some of you guys know that uh, we're expecting a kid soon, which is pretty cool, next year. Um, so I don't know what it's like to have kids yet. Um, but at the same time, I, I already have a kid. It's just, we have another person in the house. The person's just inside Tam, which is kind of a weird thing to think about. Um, but I've just been trying to remind them, I'm already a dad. There's already a person there. But it's still, still getting more and more real slowly. Um, but I, I don't know what that's like to, to, to really have a young child and to feel that sense of compassion. And definitely don't know what that's like for, for a mother, but, but some of you do. Some of you are, are mothers, and you, you know what that feels like to have a child and to be deeply moved and to care deeply for your child. And, and that's the picture of God's compassion. Or some of you are fathers, and you know what that feels like and how your, your ch- child can move your heart deeply, especially when they're in need. And that's the picture of what God is like. And what, what is it like for us to shift our view, if that's not our view of God's heart towards us and God's nature, to shift it to that, that he's compassionate, that he's gracious, that he's not disinterested and uncaring. He's not absent. He's a parent who cares deeply, who feels deeply, and who is moved by the needs and problems in the world. And not just that he feels, but that he helps. He's gracious. And not just when we deserve it, even particularly when we 
don't deserve it. And, and we've been singing about it. That's what the, the good news is, that he is gracious, that it, it, we were dead, but he has shown grace and mercy to us. When we turn to him, he rescues. And the, the huge story that pictures this, um, that Jesus tells in the Gospels is the story of the prodigal son, this son who abandons his father, who goes and wastes all his money, who just wrecks his life. But as soon as he turns back to the father, as soon as the father sees him, he says he was moved with compassion and runs to the son and gives him gifts and welcomes him back. And Jesus is describing that's what God the father is like. It's not like the son has to twist his arm. It's not like you have to work really hard to get God back. It's like as soon as he turns, God's heart is of compassion and grace straight away. So that's, that's the first two words. And again, we could go into so much more depth than just kind of giving an overview today. So the Lord is gracious and compassionate. The next um, phrase in this um, Psalm 145 and in God's revelation to Moses is that God is slow to anger. And this is really interesting in the Hebrew. I don't have no idea how to pronounce it, but it basically means long nostrils. If, 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 you, if you're slow to anger, it's that you have long nostrils. And that's literally what it means. And, and the picture, right, is when you're angry, you're worked up, and often the way to not be angry is to count to ten, right? Take a deep breath. You need to breathe so you can calm down. And if someone has really big nostrils, they can get some air, more air in, and it's a bit easier to do that, right? Like, that's, that's kind of the, 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 the word picture. Um, so slow to anger is this link with the idea of self-control, of patience or long-suffering. Uh, we see this in Proverbs 16.32. It says this, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. So slow to anger is compared here with ruling your spirit or having self-control. Often when someone is angry and they're quick to anger, they're often someone without self-control, right? They just, they just fly off the rails in, in anger. But to be slow to anger is to have self-control. Again, John Mark Comer on this says, if you're slow to anger, it's not that you don't have feelings of frustration, it's that you don't lose it and explode when you get worked up emotionally. You have control over your feelings of frustration and anger and even rage. So here's the basic idea. You can make God mad, but you have to work. Really, you have to really work at it, which is an interesting way to think about God, right? That God is slow to anger. We're going to focus on this word, slow. Right? Like, he's patient. He's long-suffering. He doesn't fly off the rails. Like, God doesn't just lose it. Like, like um, and it's not like God represses it, and then one day he just goes nuts. Like, it's not like that at all. Like, like maybe he feels it, but, but he's, it's slow. Like, he has self-control. And, and he does get angry, but when he does, it's intentional. It's a choice. It's a decision. It's not a reaction. It's a response. He's slow to anger. He has self-control. Um, it's really interesting, the, the story of Jonah, um, where there's this city of Nineveh, which is um, Israel's enemies, and evil people doing terrible things. It was a terrible place, full of violence and killing and, and destruction, and, and Israel obviously hated them, and God said it was time for judgment on Nineveh. God was going to deal with the evil and the wicked city that this was um, for the terrible, violent acts that they were doing. And God therefore sends Jonah 
to announce this destruction that's going to come on the city of Nineveh. And you know the story, Jonah runs away and eventually there's a fish and everything like that. And then he comes back and actually goes through Nineveh and says in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be overthrown. He just has this one message of judgment because Nineveh is this wicked city that's come to the end and there's time for the evil to stop. And if you know the story, Jonah does that. And very quickly... Uh, the king and all the people in Nineveh say, no, let's humble ourselves, let's ask God to have mercy, let's turn back to God, let's repent of our ways, and then it, God doesn't bring judgment. Like, like Jonah brings this announcement of judgment, they turn back to Yahweh, and then they're not judged. It says this in Jonah 3.10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So God is compassionate and gracious, and they turn back to him, and he forgives, and, and he doesn't bring judgment. But the really interesting thing in the story is that that makes Jonah really angry. <laughs> like, God is slow to anger, but in this story, Jonah is angry. It says this, if you've never read Jonah chapter 4, you have to read chapter 4, because it makes the whole thing make sense. And Jonah chapter 4, at the start, it says this, But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He's angry that God had compassion and mercy to people who have, Israel's enemies who have done evil things. It says, He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by falling to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. So why didn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh? Not because he was afraid of them, because he didn't want God to have compassion on them. That's why. He said, I knew that if I went there, you're a God compassionate and gracious and slow to anger. You were lent from sending climate. He didn't want that to happen. And then when God shows mercy and grace, he's angry about it. And then the rest of the chapter is really interesting as well. But God basically says, like, these are my people, like, like, all people are God's people. Like, God created these people. He cares for them. He has compassion for all people. So if they turn back, he's going to show you compassion. He's slow to anger. And Jonah's quick to anger. But at the same time, God is slow to anger. We focus on this idea of anger. And this is the idea that actually, yeah, well, God does get angry. Like, maybe sometimes we emphasize too much his anger, and maybe sometimes we emphasize too little his anger and actually just think that he never gets angry, but the Bible describes that he does, and sometimes very angry. Um, that same city of Nineveh, uh, which turns back to the Lord, God forgives, shows compassion and grace, but then over time, they go back to their ways, and they start doing evil things again, and eventually comes the time when God does deal with them in his anger, because he's angry about the injustice and the evil and the violence that's happening there. We see this in Nahum, um, Nahum 1, verse 2 to 3. This is about Nineveh. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. So, it does come time when Nineveh pursues and continues to go down this path of evil, and God is slow to anger, but eventually God says, enough is enough, and he deals with it. He puts an end to it because he hates evil, he hates violence, he hates destruction, he hates sin, and he, and he, and he puts an end to it because he loves people. 
The interesting thing is, though, the gap between that first story of Jonah and then the story of Nahum is 150 years. Like, like he is slow to anger. It's not like they just went back and then God just flies off the rails. It's like, no. He, it, he's slow to anger, but there are times when he says enough is enough. So the Lord is slow to anger. The fact that he's slow to anger is a good thing, right? It's good that he is self-controlled, but it's also good that he does get angry because anger is a part of love. Again, he's a father, and if a father sees his children being hurt and having, being attacked or having evil things done or the creation being, having evil things done, he, he does get angry at that, and he will act and bring justice. And, and there's a whole bigger conversation around what that looks like and, and different ways that happens that we don't have time for today. But because he loves, he hates sin and he hates violence. Uh, he hates war. He hates destruction. Um, so he does get angry when, when his kids are hurting. So maybe one of those two extremes need to shift in our view of God. Perhaps, perhaps we tend to see God as really easily angered. Maybe... Maybe your perception of God is that if you make one mistake, he's just angry, critical, waiting for you to stuff up so he can just go off the rails. Or maybe he's just always angry and disappointed. Uh, and you need to hear that, no, he's slow to anger. And, and his primary disposition is compassion and grace. Or maybe we need to realize that, well, actually, yeah, he does get angry, and that's good. He's, he's just, and he will make the world right, which involves dealing with evil, and because he's loving and good, he hates and gets angry at evil. And maybe we need to recognize that that is a part of God that is good as well. So the Lord is slow to anger. This last um, part in this quote in Psalm 145 then goes on to, the Lord, Yahweh, is abounding in steadfast love. So the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. This is great, like the word is great, in, again, Hebrew, is something like hesed. Um, and it's, it's really interesting, because this word hesed is really hard to translate into English. Um, and if you have a different Bible version there, there's, there's multiple different ways that translators translate this word, because there's no real good word that just captures what this is, that he has hesed. Um, so the, the NIV is um, rich in love, just translates it as love. Um, the ESV says steadfast love. Um, other translations might say loving kindness or unfailing love or great in mercy or loyal love. Um, this idea of being great in hesed. And to kind of summarize, again, I'm still learning this as well, but the, the basic idea from some study this week is that this idea of hesed it's a combination of love and affection, generosity, so there's action and generosity, but it's in the context of a promise and a covenant. So it's, so it's a committed relationship where there's a continual commitment to generosity with affection over time, is, is, is what this idea of hesed is. Um, so, um, yeah, it was interesting. I was, listen, I was listening to one thing where one, one um, teacher sort of commented and said, uh, like in a marriage, um, it's like a husband caring for an elderly wife who gets, gets quite old and, and sick, and he actually then has to become her full-time carer and devotes his whole life to looking after her and caring for her and providing her, and does it with affection and generosity because of the commitment that they made. He would say, that's hesed. 
that that's what this is. Um, and God is great in hesed, great in steadfast love. See this in Psalm 103, um, verse 11 to 12. This is in the ESV. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his hesed, steadfast love, towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. So God's love is great, and then he even demonstrates it in his forgiveness, in the way that he removes our sin from us. Again, Psalm 136, 1, is this great celebration of God's steadfast love. Um, it says, give thanks to the Lord, give thanks to Yahweh, for he is good, for his hesed, steadfast love, endures forever. That God is abounding in this committed, generous, affectionate love. He fulfills his promises. There's this amazing story um, towards the start of the Bible where God makes these promises to Abraham, and God's plan is to create a people through Abraham, and this people will then bless the world, and God's rescue plan for the world will occur through Abraham's descendants, uh, right at the start of the story of the Bible. So God makes a covenant with Abraham, which is this idea of a committed promise. And it's pretty crazy, but back then, they would have this ceremony, um, which I don't understand, but the basic idea is that you would do a sacrifice, and then you'd part the animals and what you do is with the covenant partner, the person you're making the covenant with, you'd walk through the animals. And it's this visual um, picture of we're making a promise and we're walking through animals that have been cut. It's called cutting a covenant. And the idea is if one of us breaks our side of the covenant, we're saying we're willing to be cut like these animals. So it's like a life promise. It's like I'm willing, I deserve to die if I don't fulfill my part of the promise, effectively, is what it's saying. It's pretty intense uh, making these, these strong covenants. Um, so as we just have contracts these days that people just try and get out of, so it's kind of like a bit different these days. But um, this crazy thing in this story in Genesis, God makes this covenant with Abraham, but then there's this part where um, just before they're about to walk through, Abraham falls into this deep sleep, and he has this vision of God, and in the vision it's a picture of, uh, it's a symbol of God, going through the animals by himself. But Abraham doesn't actually walk through. God's the one who walks through. It's a two-person promise, right? Like two people for a covenant, but God's the only one who actually makes the promise and walks through. John Mark Comer, on this, I'll give you, read this quote. He says what this is picturing. It says this, It's Yahweh's way of saying that even if Abraham and his children don't keep their end of the bargain, he'll still keep his promise. He'll rescue and save the world through this soon-to-be nation, no matter the cost. And if blood has to be spilled, it won't come from Abraham. It will come from Yahweh himself. He's willing to die and become just like these animals, just to keep his promise to bring the world back to life. So you see, the Lord is abounding in steadfast love. Um, and this is a picture is like, what is it like to see God like that? That God is someone who is committed like that. Like, like he's committed to his promises. And, and the fact that he's committed, and this word has said is often linked with faithfulness as well. It's often was great in steadfast love and faithfulness. Um, but that doesn't mean that bad things won't happen to us, right? It doesn't mean that there won't be problems and difficulties there were for Abraham, but that he is committed to us, that we are secure in him, that his love is not just a feeling, and it's not just for a moment, but it's steadfast, it's committed, 
it, it's a covenant. It's generous and affectionate, and he's abounding in it. It means we don't have to worry about him leaving. We don't have to worry about God giving up. God's not having second thoughts. His love is consistent and forever. So this is an amazing picture of the Lord. If we're saying, what is his character? What is he like? It's a great to come back to this verse, that the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And ultimately, the revelation of this in the, the full sense comes in Jesus, that this is what Jesus is like, and Jesus is the revelation of the Father. And even as we've been studying recently, Jesus is full of compassion. Jesus sees needs and is moved deeply for people, even weeps with people. Jesus feels the pain of the world and cares, and he's gracious he acts to help, even people who don't deserve it. He shows grace to Zacchaeus and has lunch with him. Like He doesn't deserve it, but he shows grace to him. In the people he picks, in the people he hangs around with, he's gracious. Jesus is slow to anger. Um, you think he left heaven, this place of perfection. He comes to earth and just sees the evil and the injustice and the, the problems that were present and, and even people hating him and attacking him, and he's slow to anger. But, but even Jesus gets angry and Jesus particularly gets angry at the temple at one point um, because of all the injustice and the misuse of this place of prayer. That Jesus gets really angry. He makes a whip, it even says. But the interesting thing, again, is that Jesus has been going to the temple his whole life. Right? Like It wasn't just one day he went off the rails. It's like It was a slow build and an intentional decision. And Jesus is the best picture of God's abounding, steadfast love in that he literally kept the covenant to death. He literally fulfilled the promise to Abraham even though it cost him his whole life. He's faithful and committed and makes promises unto death. Literally, he died. He shed his blood in our place. So Jesus is his picture of Yahweh as a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. I suppose the point of this, this, this time at the moment is just for us to have that picture of God and then just simply appreciate him and worship him and praise him. So we're going to do that now. Uh, we're going to sing a really great song that's, that is just in response to this. And we're going to sing this verse back to the Lord. And I just encourage you to engage with that, with those pictures and those descriptions of those words to, to praise and worship. And perhaps even to thank him particularly for those characteristics. Thank you, God, that you are compassionate, God. You, you feel deeply for me and the world. Thank you that you're gracious, that you're slow to anger, that you're abounding in love. Because often we're not, right? <laughs> like, like, I'm often not compassionate and gracious. Uh, maybe we're not slow to anger or very good at keeping our promises. Like, we fall short of that, but he doesn't. He is. And actually, as we worship him and as we praise him and as we follow him, he's making us more like him to be more like that as well. So maybe the band might like to come and, and we're going to sing. Um, yeah, if you guys would like to stand, and I'll pray and then... Yeah, we'll celebrate our God. Yeah, Father, we just thank you that that's who you are. We thank you that you are compassionate, God. You're a great creator, great savior, but full of compassion and mercy and grace. Well, we thank you for your, we thank you that you're slow to anger, God. You see the injustice and evil in the world and you will deal with it, Lord, but you are in control. We don't have to be afraid of 
We're losing it at us, God. We just thank you that you're slow, you're patient. You're patient even with us, God, in our failures and our problems. And we just thank you for your abounding, steadfast love demonstrated in the cross. And just want to honor you and worship you for what you're like. Thank you that you are our God. You're our king. Thank you that you've revealed yourself to us and just make us more and more people who can represent you and love you and celebrate you as well, Father. We just pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.